Quick disclaimer, due to the effects of COVID-19, James is recording some of these episodes virtually. And in this episode, it results in a slight delay between him and his guest. No one is trying to interrupt each other, it's just the pleasures of recording over a video call. Anyway, let's get on with today's episode. Another two weeks has flown by, hasn't it? So it's time for your regular, now fortnightly, episode of Rocket Fuel, where we look to people in marketing, youth culture, industry, commerce, and we try to find out what motivates them and floats their boat, and then we ask for their top tips, their rocket fuel. Um, This week, we've got a belter. Uh, third in the series, and we've got Hannah Witten, one of the old school creators who I think is brilliant. We have a really good chat. I also check in during the next hour with Georgia, who works at Rocket, Georgia Henry, she's head of publishing, to talk about influencers and how they have changed. So uh, look forward to that. Um, as ever, we always say this, let anybody know, won't you, uh, that you think could uh, get something out of this podcast and just make them aware of it. We do this so that we can have interesting conversations, meet interesting people. Um, yeah, well worth a listen. Also, a nice review or a, uh, a five-star review on um, your podcast provider of choice would be really useful too. So thanks in advance for that. Right, enough of waffle from me. Let's get on to Hannah Witten, influencer, online creator, and all-round all industry genius. Um, let's get on to Hannah Witten's Rocket Fuel. So this week's guest is Hannah Witten. The first thing to say, Hannah, is thank you so much for being this week's guest on Rocket Fuel. Thanks for having me. No, don't be silly. Now, (laughs) Hannah, it's tough to introduce you because you have so many strings to your bow now. Why don't we start with social media sensations? Should we start (laughs) with that kind of an introduction? And if you can bring to life for our listeners, what's your journey been? Where, Where did it all start and where have you ended up? Yeah, so I started making YouTube videos over 10 years ago now. Right. And it very much started as a hobby. Um, Back in 2011, I was just a big fan of lots of YouTubers. And I came to the conclusion that if I wanted to infiltrate their friend group and be friends with them all, then I would also have to make videos. (laughs) So that was my thought process at the time when I was 19. Then I just did that for a while, just like as a hobby, like just meeting lots of really amazing friends online. Um, And then I was just doing it on the side throughout university. And then it kind of just like started to pick up. And then out of uni, I decided that I just wanted to go for it and And try and make it a thing. And over time, you, I mean, your base is still on YouTube, but there are many other strings to your bow now. So you have a podcast, yeah. you've written books. Where, Where is the focus or is it all the focus? YouTube is still my biggest platform. So that kind of tends to take up a lot of my time and resources. And um, it definitely still is the focus because it's kind of where I can reach the most people but yeah the podcast at the moment for me is is probably 
another big focus of mine. And then like things like Patreon is a massive focus at the moment as well. So break that down for us then. How does it work as it relates to your career? Have you found <laughs> out that by year 10 you should have a, a brilliant podcast? Is it, has it been by, by luck or by design or a happy co- combination of the two? I think a happy combination of the two because I think I'm quite strategic when I have an idea for something and then I make sure that it's all planned out like my podcast doing it when I first decided that that was what I wanted to do I had um a deal with global for Mm. the distribution and for running ads on it Um, I made sure I had all of the artwork and stuff sorted out. I made sure that I had the Twitter handles and the Instagram handles that I wanted. I made sure that the website was all like ready. Um, And I had like 13 episodes recorded before I even went live with it. So, so when I decide to do something, I kind of, I, I, you know, I project manage the entire thing. Like that's kind of like my job. Um, but then once I'm kind of in it, it's a bit of a mixture of like, let's just see what happens. And then also like, I like having breaks and kind of like moments of relaunches. So like with the podcast, I like to kind of run it in seasons so that it just gives us time to kind of reflect on what worked. I remember distinctly, and this is a real moment of shame of mine, right? Because you and I have been on podcasts together. We've we've met a few times over the years, mm-hmm. right? And I remember we were on a podcast for a PR business and they were wanting to understand influencer marketing. And we'll come back to your opinions on the word influencer uh-huh. later. Yeah. But I remember I said to you afterwards, and it's such a moment of shame, I grimace when I say This is so funny because I probably don't even remember it. Well, here we go. And I said, you must have found that really boring because it was very industry. And I I think I brought this up with you before. And you went, no, it's my job. And suddenly then (laughs) I realised, A, how patronising that must have sounded, but then B, how... Yes, your job is about being on camera and being on the end of a microphone, but it's much more than that because you've got to have an understanding of the commerciality and the bigger stuff just as much as you do as the content you're creating. Is that fair? And did it make you grimace as much as I'm grimacing now? (laughs) No, I I don't think you need to feel (laughs) shameful about that at all because I do think that it is... An assumption that a lot of people make that like the influencers, like the people who they see as the face of this industry. Oh, they're just the pretty faces like promoting all of these products. They're just like the people who are just like documenting their lives and just like putting videos of themselves on the Internet or whatever. The behind the scenes of that, we wear so many hats. Yeah. (laughs) In terms of like the creative side of things and then like the business side of things, like we we have to do it all and know it all. Um, some people enjoy it more than others. Like I definitely enjoy talking about the kind of behind the scenes. And then yeah. there are some, there'll be some creators who only want to kind of like do the fun creative side of things and just want to hand off like all of the other stuff and not have to think about it. Um, 
So yeah. So one of your one of the one of the pieces of content again using marketing nonsense that I remember that you created is where a typical again another term that we'll talk about YouTubers revenue comes from, and you yeah. I remember and you literally broke it down from what comes from the sponsorship, what comes from the pre-roll ads. Why was it important for you to do that video? Yeah, I actually just filmed the fourth year update of that video. So that's going to be going out mid-July at some point. But yeah, no, so at first I basically um, decided for personal reasons, I was like, I should probably know where my revenue is coming from and what percentage is coming from what parts of my business. Like that's something... (laughs) as someone who is running a business should know. Um, And so I I did my pie chart because that's the extent of my uh, data analysis skills. Um, And I discovered that 80% of my income was coming from brand deals and sponsorships. And then another like 9% was coming from Google AdSense. So that to me was actually really shocking because what it meant was that 90% of my income was coming from advertising and it was directly correlated with how well my videos and content was performing. Like my, it was directly correlated with my popularity essentially, which to me screamed, this is not sustainable. (laughs) Like (laughs) this is not a wave you can ride. And so I did a blog post originally kind of sharing this pie chart and sharing um, my thoughts on it. And that was when I kind of was like, okay, I want to change this. So I need to diversify my revenue streams and I need to work on these other areas of my business in the long term. And so that's kind of what I've been doing year on year and kind of like updating as I go each year. So you are part business person, part content creator. You are all of those brilliant things. Have you ever had anything like a mentor of, or who's taught you this stuff? How, do, how does that happen? <laughs> um, self-taught but then also just like peer-taught from like other creators and youtubers um yeah lots (laughs) just lots of self-taught and is there a type of person that you like to surround yourself with from a professional standpoint have people got to be have you got to be inspired by people have you got to have direction from people who who do you like working with and collaborating with yeah, I I really like I don't not necessarily like working with in a public sense because yeah. collaborations and, and stuff are a bit 2014 I guess on YouTube. Yeah. Um but um but definitely like working with behind the scenes in terms of just like talking with each other and like helping each other out and like being colleagues and like sharing our knowledge and information and and insights with each other. It's just people, I think, who um, also take it really seriously and so who I can have these kinds of conversations with. Um, And then also just like people in different niches, I guess, because if you just stick to talking to people who are just in your niche, then you're going to miss out on a lot of insights. So like I love talking about like what my friend's Uh, YouTube and social media strategies are if they're like a travel content creator if they're a fashion content creator if they're like a booktuber I'm like what's going on in your niche and like what what can I use there 
That's fascinating. Are there side hustles you've embarked on that we don't know about? Have you tried to create a jam that's never come out? Have you? Do you know what I mean? Is there anything I don't, don't have the time. <laughs> I I wish. And when you are looking at your, if you like, your real estate, the stuff that you're working on, yeah. how do you know when the right time is to write a book? How do you know when the right time is to launch that podcast? What, mm. what, what, are, what are the signs? So for me, the sign was a publisher reached out to me. <laughs> right, fine. That's an easy, that's a good that's, sign. That's a, like a glaringly obvious sign. Yeah. Um, although it might not be for some people, it might be like you get you are uh, reached out to by a publisher, but actually you decide that it's not the right time, and that's totally yeah. <laughs> fair as well. Um, but for me, that was the sign. And then I think for me, I don't I don't know if I've ever like thought about this in the sense of like oh when I when I'm feeling like this, I think it's time for a change. Yeah. But there's definitely like there is a void to fill. <laughs> <laughs> So, for instance, like whilst I was writing my two books, that was kind of like a big thing that I was focusing on. And then also I was doing this other podcast called Banging Book Club, which was two of my friends and we read books about sex and it was a great time. Banging Book Club came to like a natural end, but I didn't want to stop podcasting because I really enjoyed the format. And so that then for me was a sign of like, okay, I'm, I now I'm not writing any books. My time that I was putting into this podcast, I know I that time has been freed up as well. So I had like this chunk of like yeah. I'm not I'm not podcasting, I'm not writing a book. Back okay. Pie I'm, charts again. I mean this pie <laughs> chart being a pie chart of hours or yeah, of time, of and, time energy. and energy. Yeah. So I was like, okay, now is a good time to do a podcast. I think it's one of the other things that I really consider is what my capacity is in terms of my own time and energy, but then also like financial capacity. So I recently, well, not recently, but like at the end of 2019, I launched like a second channel. And that was something that like I'd been thinking about for years, but I just did not have the capacity in order to manage two YouTube channels. And by the end of 2019, I'd gotten to a really great system and routine with my video editor. And I also had an assistant at that time as well. So I was outsourcing and I realized that with the team that I'd built and with the like systems that we already had in place, yeah. you were in a good position to add a new thing. Because I don't like adding too much at one time. Like it has to be gradual. Sure. And in terms of, if you like, I'm, I may ask you to speak in the third person about yourself now. What do you think you're known for? What do you think people say, that's Helen Witten, she, dot, dot, dot? What? Okay. So I'm known for being really nerdy about sex. I'm also known for being really nerdy about pie charts and spreadsheets yeah. and organisation <laughs> and productivity and that kind of stuff. And then I'm also known for being associated with the colour yellow. Can I ask a semi-rude question, which <laughs> is this. You've recently got married. Were you yeah. the world's worst bridezilla? So was that process spreadsheet organised? Was that like something that you've organised, you know, something something even more granular detail and, and geekiness to get right? Or were you actually quite chilled out about it? I would say that I'm hyper-organised, but also 
the level of organization that I do means that I can chill out. Yeah. So yes, there was a wedding spreadsheet, <laughs> but it basically helped the process be sure. super chill and easy. So actually, my final question in this section, are you any good at switching off? So if you go away, do you put down your phone and try and move yourself away from emails or does it not quite work like that? In some circumstances, I would say, yes, I am I am pretty good at switching off, especially in the last year. Like I find that I don't really post on Instagram as much as I used to and I feel much better for it. Yeah. But when I plan to take some time off, I like put it in my calendar and I make sure that I'm like taking that time off. I love putting my email out of office on like that's just a very easy like boundary to set where I don't then feel guilty about not replying to people who are emailing. I am taking two weeks off like from tomorrow but I have like a couple of commitments that are still running during my two weeks off so like yes I am good at taking time off because I'm not going to be posting any videos or podcasts. I'm not going to be making any videos or podcasts. I'm not going to be in my email inbox, but I've got a few calls that I have to do. I'm I'm currently doing this sexuality educator certification and I've got like group supervision and, and stuff for that during my time off. And then also I'm moving into a like office studio space. And so that two weeks, I'll probably have to go into the, go into the office for like yeah. deliveries and stuff because <laughs> I'm currently like stuff is getting moved in and things are happening. So it's like, I'm taking, I'm taking two weeks off, but am I really taking two weeks off? You know? <laughs> Okay, so the second section, still here with Hannah Whitten, is to talk about your job, Hannah, and your role. I think um, people know who you are now. People have got to meet you if they didn't know who you were already. Let's focus, first of all, on the label influencer. Mm -hmm. You have um, been particularly articulate and erudite in the past where you have said, certainly when I've been with you, that um, influencers don't spend all day waking up wondering what they can influence. Do you (laughs) actually not like the label or or, or do you just think there are are better labels? What's your view of the word influencer before we go into what they do? (laughs) Yeah, so influencer, it was a term created by the marketing industry to describe other people. It wasn't something that influencers themselves decided this is what we want to be called. Influencer, so created by the marketing industry, it basically describes our commercial function. Yeah. That's what it describes. So I would say that being able to influence people to buy things is a side effect and a byproduct of me being a content creator, an educator, a YouTuber, a podcaster, a writer, like those are all the things that I am. And it just so happens that the most lucrative part of all of that is working with brands because it was... Yes, I think you're exactly right. And ironically, the term influencer probably predates influencer marketing because in the olden days, and I'm old enough to know this, influencers was a turn of phrase to radio presenters it was a turn and phrase to you know politicians even so well I actually recently do you know the google engram it's a lot of fun no tell me about it um so it basically just has 
all of the books on Google Books. But I did this recently. So basically what it is, is you can search the Google Ngram viewer for words and it will show you how many times that word is appearing in books that are all on Google Books um, across like how many years is it from... Uh, I think it's like from 1800 or something. Okay. And I did this recently with the term influencer because I was curious. Brilliant. Yeah. So it's it exists. It's kind of there, but like no point. No, 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 no. And then it starts to climb around 2000, oh, 2003, 2004. And then it like spikes around 2014, 2015. 2014 will be the spike, won't it? Yeah. Is there a blueprint for being a content creator, an influencer, or does everybody do it slightly differently? Are there trends that you can see in other people's career trajectories where they go, and they launch their second channel now, it's time <laughs> they brought that on? Do you know what I mean? Or is it very, very individual to each individual creator? I think we're getting to a point where it is and really specific to individuals in terms of the different projects that they might take on what their career trajectory looks like um but when I was first starting and it was like specifically just YouTube because obviously like the more platforms that you involve like the more diverse experiences you're going to get in terms of people's careers um but when I was first starting it did feel like there was this blueprint of like you create a personality vlog channel um, where you're making your main videos and then you have a second channel and then you get a book deal. Yeah. Like there was like a two year period where it was like YouTuber books. <laughs> and yeah, everyone, obviously now there's so many like people on social media who write books. Um, but there was like, it, it, it was a thing at one point of like oh, yeah. all YouTuber books. I think it's, it's not as clear cut now. You can kind of like, um, do what you want like you can pick what platforms you want to be on you could be a live streamer you could be start like a business that yeah. is your main like actual source of income and then your socials is just like hey I'm the founder of this business <laughs> like and who of your contemporaries out there whose output do you admire who's who are the people that are getting this really right oh Ah, uh, good question. I currently, well, not currently, always, <laughs> really yeah. love Evelyn from the internet. She's an American creator um, and writer. Um, and sh she, to me, is just like a great example of taking time with content. And she's just so funny as well. Yeah. But she recently was experimenting with like YouTube live streams. And that was really inspiring to me because I was like, oh, I've never like seen an example of how to kind of do this that's not gaming. Yeah. And her live streams are really engaging. And I watched all of them on as VODs. Like I wasn't even yeah. watching them live. I watched them like afterwards. And I was like, I yeah. would never normally do this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, she's really inspiring to me. I love um the kind of empire that Chelsea Fagan has built with the financial diet okay just with everything that they have in terms of like YouTube channel the podcast um this massive Instagram account and then like live events like virtual live events <laughs> yeah. that they're doing yeah there's okay there's a lot As, of what have you got wrong 
when you've when you've been on this career trajectory where, where, where are the things that you wish you'd done stuff different oh I wish I'd started a mailing list sooner <laughs> okay and why because you see that now as a good way to reach your audience or it's not it's commercial it's everybody's um, getting a sub stack in America so where's <laughs> yeah. your slice of the dream cake where my my mailing list isn't commercial um at this point I don't know if it will be but more so it's actually just a place to reach my audience yeah and because I don't know what's gonna happen with YouTube and Instagram um one day like something just might change overnight in terms of like the algorithm or whatever and suddenly people who followed or subscribed aren't seeing the content that I'm putting out whereas with like, so I use MailChimp, like I'm paying MailChimp. Yeah. <laughs> those people, those emails, like I I own them, they're mine. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but it's, yeah, so it's just a lot more reliable and it's like a safety net, I think. Um, and it's also a bit more of a realistic number. Yeah. So like you can see like the big subscriber number and like we all know that, especially if you've, you're working with creators who've been on YouTube for years, they're going to yeah. have big subscriber numbers and their views are not going to match that subscriber Absolutely. number. That's something that we all know. Yeah. Or at least I hope we would all know. <laughs> yeah. And the same with like Instagram, like followers and then like engagement. These are all like so different. Yeah. Um, sometimes I just wish that like I could just delete Go back to level one and, yeah. I just wish I could delete all of these followers and subscribers who just aren't there. (laughs) Um, But with the newsletter, I'm like, like my newsletter, I think has like over 10,000 subscribers. And I'm like, okay, that seems like an actual realistic number of like how many people are probably actively engaging in what I do regularly. I'd love to talk, not least because you brought it up, I'd love to talk about Patreon and I'd love to talk about TikTok just because... Oh, I can't, I don't know a thing about TikTok. Well, that's just what I was about to ask. So have you been tempted to go full on into the world of TikTok? Is it something you are dipping your toes in the water with? where, Where is your head as it relates to TikTok? And what is happening on TikTok that looks exciting? I'll answer that last question first. What looks exciting on TikTok is the growth potential, the like financial opportunities with their creator fund. Um, and then also just like these cultural moments and movements yeah. that are coming out of TikTok. Um, I like the existence of TikTok and like finding out about like massive things that happen like on TikTok makes me feel old. Yeah. Um so there definitely is this like, oh, if I was like on TikTok, then maybe I would be a bit more in the loop and a part of something. However, I have also just gone to the point where like, even just as a consumer, I don't consume TikTok. Right. I do, it's something that I've decided. I've just like, I just don't have the time. Like I know that if, when I have downloaded it and when I have had a bit of a scroll, I've had a lovely time. It's yeah. great. But the when I actually think about how I'm spending my time, I'm like, actually, that's not what I want to 
be spending my time on. So that's TikTok and that's the excitement around it. Let's talk Patreon just because you mentioned it. Mm. Um, what has Patreon allowed you to do that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do? Patreon has really allowed me to like get to know members of my audience much better than through like public comments and things. It's that stability and that like security that you it's just a bit more stable basically as an income source and so then that gives you a bit more freedom so for instance getting to my studio yeah it's like okay I have income coming from Patreon so actually I do feel like that this is a sound financial business decision and I can afford this studio space and then also just like having people who are invested in my content and invested in the message that I'm trying to get out there who can kind of like offer me feedback. Yeah. Um, okay. Which is really valuable. And then the other thing what I've, I've noticed that I've started just like on a personal level using my Patreon for. So I have a discord server for my Patreon. So it's like right. a private discord server, which is basically like a Slack. Nice, yeah. It's just like a big old chat room with lots of different topics that people want to chat about and it's amazing because like all of my patrons are just like chatting to each other and and stuff that's great and i'll have a nosy in there and like chat to people as well but mostly it's just like the community like getting to know each other and talking about things together and what i've actually found is like maybe like a few years ago if i had a thought uh, or i wanted people's input on a question that i had i might have gone to twitter yeah and now i like noticed that i really do not use twitter anymore like if there's a book that I want to recommend or if something's happened or I don't want to like put something out into the void and like hope that some people respond instead I know that I'm going to get like a quality response in my discord server so it's real-time market research as well as a financial platform that gives you freedom yeah but even just like not even thinking of it as market research, but just like as me as an individual who has this like craving to connect with other people. And yeah. so sometimes I might tweet something because I'm like, oh my God, Taylor Swift just announced her new album. Oh my God. And I, and I want to get excited with other people. Yeah. But I just have stopped kind of doing that on Twitter. And instead, like there are a lot of Taylor Swift fans in my, in yeah. my Patreon. And we have a whole thread where we talk about music and like, Anytime Taylor Swift announces anything, that thread is just like blowing up and you actually like, it feels like you're getting excited with like a group of people who you actually know and like rather than just like yeah. the, the Twitter world. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's like a big group chat. So you, you, you're getting more quality responses and that's and kind of what I'm craving now rather than just like. So it's the quality of response, not the numbers. Back to kind of the subscriber numbers not meaning anything. You would rather yeah. have a conversation. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, can I have a conversation? Sense. And like, um, I didn't even, I didn't know that Taylor Swift had announced anything until somebody in my Discord server tagged me, just being like, Hannah, like, get here now. Like, I'm like, oh, what's happening? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Let's talk about your audience. Uh-huh. Have they got older with you? Do they do they want different things of you? How's your relationship with your audience changed? Yeah, they they've definitely gotten older with me. Um, my audience is always like, I would say on average, maybe like five years younger than me. 
Okay. But they have still very much grown up with me. So yeah, it's, it's quite nice that way because it means that I can talk about things that I care about and my yeah. audience will still care about those things. Um, like I don't want to make a video about like tips for university because I don't sure. care. <laughs> <laughs> and so like there are lots of my audience who are at uni now, but I would think there's more of them who aren't at this point. Why are they five years younger than you? Is it because you are the big sister that they never had? Is that basically it? I think so. And then also I think it has to do with kind of like people watching and subscribing and engaging in content that's like slightly um I don't want to say ahead because that's not like life isn't this thing where it's like a sure it's really clear tra trajectory but the thing that it makes me think of is when I was like 17 years old reading Cosmo which yeah it, I was reading articles that were like, sounded like they were aimed at women in their 20s and 30s. Yeah. But I was 17 because it's like aspirational content. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this could be in my future, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was Cosmo position of the fortnight? Was that Cosmopolitan? That was, wasn't it? When mm. they used to have, yeah, it was. Fine. That's the main I think that all sorts of yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> um, let me ask one more question, which I feel as though you and I have answered or at least been on panels and spoken about an awful lot but i still think lots of this happens what do marketing people get wrong about working with people such as you what or, or you may tell me actually all of the old tales of marketers <laughs> not fully understanding have all gone and everything works seamlessly and perfectly yeah you may not. <laughs> um so I think when we've spoken about this before, I've probably said stuff like um, no, marketers need to know what they want out of a campaign before going into it. Like, is this an awareness campaign? Is it like direct sales? Like all of that kind of stuff. Um, but actually what I want to really say is um, things that have frustrated me when I work with brands, and maybe this yeah. is because I'm a very organized person, um is when the brands don't stick to their deadlines <laughs> and it what what i think brands don't realize is that i'm a production company and i've got my own deadlines and i've got my own systems and i like i work with an editor so like if you're going to be behind on giving feedback or if you're behind on giving me the brief, then like everything has to get pushed back on my end and like then i need to like it's, there's been situations where I've had to like last minute, like film another video and like get my editor to like edit over the weekend because the brand has been so delayed in getting feedback to us or they've like asked for more than they should. And then I, last minute I'm scrambling so that I can get a video to go live because that brand one isn't ready yet. Um, and so yeah it's just so those, those are my biggest those are my biggest nightmares when it's come to working with brands and understanding that the people they are working with are not people in bedrooms they are people with careers and people with production studios it's almost people like with thing. schedules people yeah. with their own deadlines people with their own um you know this is the filming day this is the edit this is the editing day 
you didn't get us feedback by like there's this there's this assumption sometimes like a brand will turn around and be like oh here's all of the here's all of the feedback but we need you to refilm can you get it to us in six hours and you're like no (laughs) no I can't do that like would you like yeah Yeah. it's the lack of understanding of like I'm not just sitting around waiting for your feedback (laughs) with a completely empty day like oh I'll wait to work on this video So let's take time out for the interview. And I'm joined brilliantly now by Rocket's uh, own head of publishing, Georgia Henry. Hello, Georgia. Are you right? Hello. Yes, I'm well. So you've been listening to that interview with Hannah so far. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you almost think of Hannah as one of the previous wave of creators, of social content creators, of influencers. And Georgia, I know you're very much, you're, you're in tune with the current crop of book talkers. What, what are the similarities? What, what, what have you seen that's similar with Hannah and, and similar with the current crop of online creators? I think where you get successful people like Hannah and like, you know, the main, the new generation that I'm working with are mostly in the book talk community. And I think the longevity of their careers is going to come from the fact that they didn't enter into this creative endeavor looking to make loads of money and get all these brand partnerships. Yes, that's a massive win in what they're doing and they are business savvy and they are doing all those things, but they, they joined because they wanted to, they had something creative they wanted to share and they had a passion they wanted to talk about and build an audience and a community. And that's what Hannah did. And that's what, you know, go back to the kind of Zoella pointless blog days. I, I do believe that's what all of them did as well. Um, and I think in lockdown, everybody turned to TikTok in that way and they've just built a genuine audience and then the, the business has followed. I think you're right and you've raised a good point. One of the reasons why I love Hannah's content is because it's a little bit in and she tells, she exposes the business side of what she does. She does that brilliantly and has done over the years. And that's why she's such a great guest. But you're right. You, you've, one of my worst examples ever of an interview with a creator was with Hannah many years ago when I almost expected her not to know about the business side. And it's only when you speak to somebody like Hannah that you realise an understanding of both the business side as well as a passion is absolutely essential, isn't it? It definitely is, yeah. I completely agree with that, particularly because as brands develop their marketing strategies, and you know, I think most brands are, are aware of influence marketing these days, but when in Hannah's career, they, they definitely weren't. And so I think them starting to develop an awareness of it and learn how to work with influencers, she could have been really taken advantage of and had people who don't understand how to speak influencers. So for her to be able to do that and understand her worth and value and campaign work is um, is absolutely imperative. And loads and loads has been said about influencer marketing, not least on this podcast. You can go back and look at that interview we did with Lucy Loveridge. She's now at YMU. She was at Gleam at the time. And you can almost look at kind of, old school theories of how to engage with them. But but let's look at influencer marketing as a, as a general 
beast, if you like, it's people aren't thinking necessarily in terms of individual platforms anymore, are they? They're, they're almost thinking of different strategies for different platforms. And is that what we're seeing more and more of? Are we seeing creators working across multiple platforms? I think so. And I actually think there's positives and negatives to that. I think, you know, I've mentioned TikTok already. It wouldn't be me if I didn't. But I think there's, it's, people are moving over there. But I equally think there's a lot, like I'm not a content creator, but I think there's likely a lot of pressure into into having this cross-platform huge um, empire, and I don't always think that's necessary. You know, you if you've got a loyal audience, they will keep, they will stick with you in most cases, as long as you continue to be relevant and speak to them in a way they want to be spoken to. So I think yes and no, but I would say the a main like shift I I think I'm I really see an influencer is it being about them as a personality and. Then, then appearing, you know, we have our family collective, we have our TikTok collective here at Rockin. Brands starting to want influencers to appear in their content rather than even going anywhere near the channels of the influencers. So it's, you know, you know, taking it completely away from that platform, and it's about them almost being an endorsement for the brand. Definitely looking at them as content creators as opposed to influencers. Um, yeah, and and looking at the dual role that can play. Brilliant, George. A nice one. Anything else to say on Hannah, even if it just is how refreshing her take is? <laughs> yeah, I think Hannah is really refreshing. She's, um, it's, especially to a youth audience, you know, I know, I know her audience isn't specifically youth and teen, but she does definitely have some of that. And I think it's really nice to, to be spoken to in a real and genuine way, especially because we all know that people make money from this. And it actually adds more credibility to her, in my opinion, because she's not shying away from saying that this is her business and this is how she makes money and how she lives her life. And I think people are attracted to that because she's not trying to pretend as though that's not that's not the reality. And then it you know makes everybody be able to take being an influencer as a career a lot more seriously. I couldn't agree more. Uh, Georgia, thanks so much for that. Let's get back to Hannah's rocket fuel. We are still here with Hannah Whitten, and we're coming on to the bit of the chat where we ask Hannah for her rocket fuel, some practical insights, mm. some things that we, the listeners, can take and use in our day when we're talking to youth audiences. Um, Hannah, is there one thing that you know about young audiences? They're smart and they probably know the internet better than the people who are trying to sell stuff to them. <laughs> Good answer. Nice. <laughs> what do you think is important to young people? I actually think that a lot of like social justice causes are really important to young people. And I think feeling like there's a purpose. Would you describe yourself as political? Yeah. And yeah. political as in moving a vote towards one party over another or political on single issues? Political on issues, because I think that sex is political. In terms of like politics, like specifically like in this country and like voting and parties and stuff, I'm very open about which way I lean, which is left, very left. <laughs> But yeah, I don't really get massively involved in the details of that because I don't follow it to granular to like to the to the granular details. Final question: When you're looking at youth audiences, yeah. who gets it right when they're when you're talking to them, and who gets it wrong? <laughs> oh my 
my goodness. Um, you don't have to name names. Interesting. Oh, I think people who actually like spend time talking to young people get it right and then people who don't get it wrong so like if a marketing company is trying to build a campaign for a brand that's aimed at under 25s then where's your feedback group where's your like where's your focus group of under 25s to help actually guide what the campaign is going to be instead of creating the campaign and then and then putting it out in the world and your age like the, the age that you're going for just kind of go what <laughs> okay good answer so yeah because i i have attended lots of events and, and done stuff with charities and stuff um who are youth charities and they always talk about like involving young people and involving the people that you're trying to get onto your schemes or like the, the people that you're trying to help like they need to be involved at every step basically nice good answer hannah that was awesome thank you so much um i suppose last thing where can people find out more about you where should they go if they don't know you already yeah so um my YouTube channel that's all about sex and relationships is just youtube.com slash Hannah Whitten. And then my one that's about like books and fashion and productivity and organization and what we've been talking about today is, is all about um, is youtube.com slash more Hannah. And then I'm at Hannah Whitten on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I do actually have at Hannah Whitten on TikTok, but there's nothing really there. Uh, okay. And my podcast is called Doing It. Yes, of course. Doing there It is go. a great listen. I can recommend that wholeheartedly. So, oh, yeah. thank you. Hannah, thank you so much for being this week's guest. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I told you it would be a good chat with Hannah, didn't I? Um, real tour de force is Hannah Witten, and I really enjoy talking to her. Um, you will have noticed that some of those uh, points that we raised were a little bit dated. We recorded this about four or five months ago, but I still think Hannah is one of those voices that's well worth listening to. Um, we'll see you in two weeks for more Rocket Fuel. In the meantime, uh, have a look at the back catalogue. Some really good interviews there. Everybody from Rory Sutherland to Drew Mack who was at the time World Wrestling Entertainment's heavyweight champion. Um, and get in touch with us. I'm at James Erskine on Twitter and we are at We Are Rocket HQ. You might want to get in touch about work. You might want to get in touch about the podcast. You might just want to have a rant. We'll listen to a rant. Um, see you in two weeks. Bye now. This is Rocket Audio.